During quarantine, I just wake up slightly hungover every day. (laughs) (laughs) It's fine because I don't have shit to do except (laughs) get cereal, check my email. Welcome to Predator Minute, the podcast where we break down the 1987 action sci-fi classic Predator one minute at a time. I'm John Zabriskie. And I am Jeff Glover. <laughs> For a second, I thought you were going to say, and I'm MacGyver. And I am Mac MacGyver. Mac MacGyver. Mac. 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. His team could have used the MacGyver here in this situation, or could they have? Mm. Mm, it's like they have their own very own MacGyver here. Anyway. Minute 84, you could call the Randy Moss of minutes. Randy Moss. You got mossed. Got mossed. Oh, is that what that's from? Yeah, Randy Moss. (laughs) How about it was like the moss on trees? (laughs) (laughs) That's like Randy Moss's segment on uh, whatever football pre-game show that is. You got moss. When they show like uh, great... Great catches by wide receivers. And he goes, you got mossed. You got mossed. Got mossed. Got mossed. I oh, love it. Mm-hmm. You got a good list here. Yeah. This, these first four are Hall of Famers and the rest are not. Hmm. Uh, so, yeah. Andre Reed, longtime Buffalo Bills wide receiver. Mm-hmm. Sound right. Andy Robostelli, defensive end for... Some 1950s and 60s teams. Huh. I forget which ones. His last name sounds like pasta. Yeah, Robostelli with Robustelli. a little marinara and meatballs. <laughs> ah, I'm hungry. Uh, you have Shannon Sharp. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Prince Fielder, son of Cecil Fielder in baseball. Ah, yeah. He wore 84 for the Texas Rangers. Tejas. <laughs> uh, Roddy White. Ah, Rowdy Roddy White. <laughs> That's what I call him. Another guy who we've all owned on our fantasy teams. Yep. Yep. Uh, Gary Clark. He was a either tight end or wide receiver for, you know, it's, it's gone now. (laughs) He was a football player who wore number 84. Yeah. Yeah. Played for a team. Yeah. He played for a team. Go city name sports team. (laughs) You have Antonio Brown. Mm -hmm. Future hall of famer. Probably. Probably. Uh, you have Sterling Sharp, who was uh, one of my uh, favorite players back in the 90s when I was watching the Packers. I was a big Packers fan growing mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. So he was one of those uh, just tragic stories of a probably Hall of Fame career cut short. If you look at his numbers, he had mm-hmm. like a really good six or seven years, like including that last year. And then he was injured in, I think, the last two games. He had a couple stinger stinger tackles that caused some bad neck injuries and yeah he went he went out like that was the end of it age of 29 i think oh that's too bad yeah Mm. and of course he's the older brother of shannon sharp right i was gonna ask are they related yeah they are related yeah Mm. uh and then i had to throw in tony low mac low mac Low Mac. Uh, I looked up him and he, he played for uh, two different teams. Uh, I can't remember when. I think back in the 90s. Oh, that's right. 91. I think he played for two different teams. And all of his stats consist of a single punt return for the then Phoenix Cardinals. 
<laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, right. love Good job, Tony Lomack. Mac. Yeah. Sacrificial mm. Mac. Mac. Mm-hmm. We're talking minute 84, as we just said. Minute 84 opens with Dutch holding a string in his mouth, and it ends with Dutch pouring some black powder onto a leaf. Have you ever done that, Jeff? Have you ever poured some black powder onto a leaf? No. Uh, I <laughs> did pour some black powder into a tennis ball one time. Uh, <laughs> I was a dumb teenager. <laughs> what did you do with that tennis ball? Um, I shoved it into a stump and and lit it on fire. <laughs> nice. And watched it blow up. <laughs> that sounds and, awesome. It was in my friend's backyard. We opened up a or cut a hole in a tennis ball and took a bunch of I can't remember what the fireworks were. Maybe those like what do they called them like whistling peats or something. Whistling peats. I don't know, like these little whistling. Anyway, they got, but they have like, they also like shoot off the firework flame while it whistles. Mm, so yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I mean? So we took all the, we opened a bunch of those up, took all the powder out and put it inside a tennis ball and put a wick in it. But we didn't fill the tennis ball all the way up because we didn't have enough. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know. It was, it was quite anticlimactic, actually. <laughs> the old whistling peat trick. Yeah, yes. uh, didn't work out. Have you ever, have you ever put some, uh, explosive powder on a leaf you know i i haven't done that but i was definitely like you growing up where you know just have kind of spare fireworks laying around and you would just as go you do. as you do you blow up gi joes you'd blow up various things uh i think one of my favorite uh tricks if you call it i don't know just playing with explosives uh was to take one of those like whistling bees or whatever they're called the one are you talking about the ones that go Mm. And they rotate and they fly into the air. I know what those are. Um, those are like, wait, bloom, fl- flowers, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. It wasn't those. It was something different, but I know what you're talking about. <laughs> so we, we learned early on that what you could do is if you put like a rock on it, it would just kind of shoot the flame. It would sit there under that rock and it would just shoot the flame in the direction you wanted it. So at one point we put uh, one of those on top of like a, an anthill and like just weighted <laughs> down and just, just, just shot flames right into that sucker. And <laughs> those ants did not come out anymore. Man, teenage boys are awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think one time we put like an M1000 into a glass bottle and just threw, th- <laughs> threw, th- threw that into, into, a, into a lake. Uh, we're, ter- we're terrible. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it always is. Is like, it's, it's fun, but you're always just like throwing it into a hole or throwing it into a lake or putting on a stump or right. holding on to it for as long as you can before letting go. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the smart way to do it. <laughs> that's the smart way. Uh, yeah. Ridiculous. Fun with fireworks. One time we had a bag of fireworks. We had gone to the Indian res and gotten a bag of fireworks. And we were, you know, as we were teenagers, we were like driving around and letting off fireworks in various <laughs> places, like school parking lots and shit, wherever we could go. And, uh, at one point, a Roman candle uh, shot landed in our bag of fireworks, and the whole oh, bag of no. fireworks went off. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite spectacular, but it kind of ruined the evening. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> it was really cool, but I mean, <laughs> it was cool. Yeah, it was, I, I always wondered what that would look like if that happened. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! But yeah, more to your point about blowing stuff up and being creative uh, with your explosives. We're seeing Dutch do that here. So if you want to take us from the top of minute eighty-four, uh, please do so. Yeah, let's get into it. So. This is a kind of a MacGyverish a minute. Um, we see Dutch kind of using the resources he has to try to make some tools to fend off the predator, and so we get sort of a, a montage here. It's not really like a classic style montage. We'll, we'll talk about the camera work here because it's I think it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. But um, we get uh, carrying over from last minute. We Dutch has a, a string in his mouth as he's. Um, kind of pulling some on some branches and holding the string, presumably kind of tying some stuff together here. Uh, a tree kind of moves in front of the camera and it transitions to him in full like Arnold pose, really getting like Arnold muscles here as he bends this stick um, that is the bow of a bow and arrow creation here. He kind of bends it over his back. And then we get a back, back. And then we get another transition um, where he is uh, stringing up the bow, and then we cut to Dutch firing the bow and arrow. Um, and miraculously, that arrow just goes right through an entire tree trunk, <laughs> which is quite incredible. We'll talk about that, but uh, and we'll 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 pause there because we'll, we'll talk about the last fifteen seconds or so later, but. How do you like this little kind of makeshift montage here? Oh, I love it. I yeah. love it. They even, they even call it out in the script. The script writers knew what they were doing here. They they just call it the bow and arrow montage. Perfect. Perfect. So, so they knew exactly what they wanted. That's the original script. So that's not doctored by McTiernan or anybody else. So mm. it's really cool to see McTiernan staying faithful uh, to that. Uh, here and I do like how part of the bow making experience is uh, working out is just really getting your flex on. Yeah, that that shot right there is is just like Arnold muscle porn. Really, yeah, it's like bodybuilder Arnold shot right there because he's got that the stick sort of wrapped around the back of his neck, and so he's like flexing to bend this thing, and every muscle from his forehead down to his down to his. Uh, you know, belly is in full flex all the way out to his fingers, you know, pretty impressive yeah. actually. Yeah. Pretty impressive. <laughs> if, 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 yeah. You're, he's selling us that if, right. If anybody can put something like this together, just in the jungle from the materials at hand, uh, he can, and it, it's such oh. a short sequence. It's all of uh, 40 seconds that he's doing it. Yeah. It's, it's fun to see that it's, cool to see like you're saying the transition shots are way way cool how they are uh not doing these hard cuts at all they're doing almost like a time lapse or almost like a timeline as yeah. the camera is just moving so slowly right to left and as each tree passes in the foreground it's basically soft cuts or move cuts to another step in the process yeah, it's a really smart way to do this because it it gives this little forty second montage a, a very specific feeling. You you just get the sense that he's in kind of a very sort of almost meditative, methodical mode right now, where he's mm-hmm. got the glow of the fire going, 
and he's just working on this weapon he's trying to build. And I think it's really smart how they did those transitions really softly from one thing to the next. It's not frenetic like a Rocky montage or something. We just kind of get a sense that this is a project he's working on and it's taking him a long time to finish. Uh, and he's mm-hmm. working on it, you know, throughout the the night. Yeah, it's good. It's it's really cool little sequence. I like it. Yeah, it's interesting how you mentioned night because it's still clearly dusk in the background. You can see the waterfall mm-hmm. that's well lit by the dusk, the setting sun, I guess, if you will. Yeah, you're right. Um, you can see the waterfall back there. Yeah. But you, I tend to forget about that when you're seeing him create the bow and arrow. It, they sure do a good job of using the fire, using that light to make it seem like there's this pocket of night uh, he's using to build this. Yeah, he's surrounded by trees. He's surrounded by brush. He's kind of holed up in this little spot, right? Right. Yeah. Um, and he's, he's, he's really lucky here because he's creating a lot of heat with this fire. Remember, the thunder <laughs> yeah. you know, sees pretty plainly the things that are hot in nature. Not much hotter than a blazing fire at night or yeah. dusk. This- this is a little, uh, we talked about this, we mentioned this a little bit last minute, but this is a little something that you just have to kind of accept mm-hmm. watching this movie is all of a sudden the predator has left this vicinity and is not looking for him around here anymore, does, does not see this hot fire blazing in the jungle. Um, I guess the predator went back to wherever he hangs out with with uh, Billy's skull and he's just kind of polishing that skull and spinal cord right now. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, maybe he's, taking a look at a lot of skulls because he has quite the back catalog. He has Mac, Dylan, Billy, and Ponchito. Uh, he has those fearsome foursome of kills that he collected within the span of about, what did we say? Two and a half, three minutes. Yeah. Yeah. He has, he has quite the collection kind of like when you, you know, are a collector and you just make a big pickup, you buy a good lot of games, you know, NES games and a couple consoles. You want to hurry home and start, Breaking those down. Dig into it, man. Yeah. Dig them, dig into them. Look up those prices for complete yeah. inbox, new inbox, loose prices. And I guess, you know, I guess the Predator has to sleep too. He's probably tired. He's had quite the day. Yeah. You know. He's, he's, yeah, he's, he's still working. He's, uh, he's got to go home. He's got to set his uh, skills up on the shelf. He's got to call his wife. <laughs> he's okay. And, you know, kiss her, you know, say goodnight to her. Maybe Ugh. say goodnight to the little predator babies at home and brag oh. about his uh, his trophy kills of the day. You know, right, right. The predator, you know, he's got stuff he's got to take care of. He'll he'll be back tomorrow to his hunting, <laughs> <laughs> and then he'll be then he'll be heading back home. Another successful another successful hunt. That's why the movie's called Predator and not Dutch because we know the predator is the real hero of this movie. Right. <laughs> uh, the score here, I think, is. Extremely effective. Mm-hmm. I really, really like it's this low kind of combination of strings and drums and horns, mm-hmm. I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's real soft and you kind of get punctuated with some drums and then the horns kind of dun, 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 dun in there as he's kind of putting the bow together. And I don't know, I really like I like the juxtaposition of, of that. Uh, score along with this little montage here. Yeah, I like I like the score too. Uh, classic Alan Silvestri throwing in some Back to the Future xylophones there too. That little mm-hmm. like that too. So I, I think it's a good moment of 
methodic music, but also some suspense. It's like the suspense is ratcheting up just as much as uh, the suspense he's building, like the little physical suspense he's building uh, with that bent bow. Yeah. Yeah. It gets you excited, right? You're excited to see him like put this stuff together because you know you're going to get to see him use it soon, right? Mm-hmm. So, and the, the music is kind of emulating that uh, sort of subdued excitement that we're feeling right. And it's just kind of descent for him into more primal fighting, more primal yeah. weapons. Yeah, um, yeah. Just shedding his his guns and his knives, and we're just going to build some weapons out of the shit we find around us in the jungle. Exactly. He's doing old school. And when I say old school, <laughs> I mean old school. I mean... I did like I did a, a an iota of research and study.com tells me that paleontologists date the invention of bows and arrows in the Paleolithic period that means old stone age Jeff mm, about 71 yeah it's like this is the kind of stuff I teach this is weird talking about yeah. stuff I teach when I haven't really done it for a couple months other than does this mean you can show predator to your sixth graders this is exactly at least this one clip <laughs> They'll just pass out when they see him bending the bow. <laughs> That's a bow flex for you folks. That's a bow flex. About 71,000 years ago, based mm. on archaeological evidence of arrowheads and cave paintings, and I included a cave painting in the uh, show notes. Mm. Yeah, you did. Uh, they assume that prehistoric men used bows and arrows to hunt. Like a hunter. Pretty smart prehistoric men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I could not make one of these bows and arrows if i was i was gonna ask i was gonna ask when you were younger did you ever try to make a bow and arrow or a a weapon you know i never did i never did uh not that i recall at least you know when i was when i was growing up i i had a some family friends were our babysitters basically it was um because both my parents worked and we had a family friends where the mom was a stay-at-home mom and so she would babysit us before and after school and but they lived on a big piece of property that was their house was kind of surrounded by acres of woods and so i was lucky enough to kind of grow up just playing outside all the time and yeah. in the summertime i would spend all day there she would babysit us all day long and and uh w- one of my best friends who i'm still like who's still one of my best friends me and him uh would just play in the woods all the time but we we didn't make weapons we this was in the time where the, your parents would just give you a hatchet and let you loose in the woods. <laughs> and I remember being like seven or eight years old and just having a hatchet <laughs> walking around the woods, like <laughs> chopping off branches and making trails. And yeah, no one batted an eye. It was crazy. <laughs> now that I think about it. <laughs> it was like Glover boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you ever wow. try to fashion a weapon? Uh, yeah, quite a few times. I think I've told you before I was in the Boy Scouts. So, oh yeah, you're a life scout. A lot of oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you for reminding me. Heart. That shouldn't <laughs> hurt. That shouldn't hurt like it does, but it still hurts for some reason. Anyway, <laughs> a lot of whittling time in the Boy Scouts, and then when you weren't <laughs> when you weren't whittling, you were creating some kind of trap or weapon uh but my real weapon making was like in the middle school times where i'd go like hang out at friends houses after school um there's one particular friend who had like like a good amount of tools in his garage Mm. and we were big ninja turtle fans so (laughs) he and i made we made nunchucks 
back in the day. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, dare I ask you, like, to describe what these looked like? <laughs> so, I mean, and I have like a, a real pair of working nunchucks to this day for some reason, just pick them up at a garage sale or something. Wow. <laughs> Do you keep them under your bed just in case? Just in case. <laughs> hit, myself, hit myself in the nuts in case of emergency. Right. Yeah. Man down. Burglar's uh, not expecting a guy to come down the stairs with nunchucks. I mean. Right. He's going to turn around and run away. Michelangelo. Michelangelo. <laughs> Was it like two like wooden dowels held together with a string? That's it. No. Held, two wooden dowels, yes, held together by like a, a whatever, a janky chain. <laughs> like, the, like, a, like a wallet chain, basically. Right, right, right. <laughs> And my best and worst memory was when I when I was showing this to Aaron, like I guess I was probably like in the seventh grade, and he was probably in the uh, I don't know third or fourth grade, and he was sitting on the couch, and I was about ten feet away from him, and I was like, Aaron, check this out, and I was like <laughs> whipping the nunchucks around, and then for whatever reason, maybe due to poor construction, one of the wooden bells <laughs> disconnected from the nunchucks and and just flew and hit him right in the face. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I felt so bad, but it was like the coolest nunchuck moment I've, I I ever had. Yeah, you can't ask for a better nunchuck moment than that. I, other than maybe if it had hit him in the balls, <gasps> that might have been a little bit better. <laughs> oh, poor Aaron. Poor Aaron. Poor Aaron. But yeah, I don't. I might have made a bow and arrow growing up, but nothing comes to mind, but definitely made my own nunchucks. And like you played with knives and some hatchets and I cut my wedding cake with a katana. You were there. <laughs> it's a very neck beardish of you. <laughs> I didn't know that. Was, is that a neck beard thing? There's a lot of like neck beard memes where it's like a neck beardish guy, you know, wearing a fedora, a fedora and like holding a, a katana or a blade. Yeah. And being like, while you were talking to girls, I studied the blade. <laughs> you know, or whatever. I studied the m'lady. M'lady. <laughs> Still have that You're, katana somewhere. For the record, everybody, John is not a neckbeard. And <laughs> it's all jokes. <laughs> all right. So. Where were we? <laughs> Jinx. Oh, okay. Last thing, just to give a little bit of um, background here about what he's creating. Back. Back. Uh, I referred back to the Internet Movie Firearms Database. Oh, haven't heard from them in a while. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while. Wow. Uh, he is making what is called a custom torque bow. Oh. And here is their little diatribe, whatever. Here's their little description. When preparing to fight the Predator... Dutch builds himself a recurve bow with enough strength to send arrows completely through trees. Dutch also builds an explosive tipped arrow and spear by removing the explosive from his M203 ammunition, likely M433 or M406 rounds. In reality, this would not work because of the lack of any kind of detonator on the arrows. Whoopsie. Mm. But it's called a recurve bow because if you notice the picture I attached to our notes, uh, it's not just a simple like bow like that just bows out it like at the ends where the strings are where the string is notched at the ends it actually curves back towards 
um, mm. front of the bow. Now, is that to add a little extra tension? Because as you pull on the string, it has to pull that curved, the recurved section back in before it can even curve the rest of the bow? You're asking the wrong person, but I'm going to yeah. say yes. <laughs> and I'm also going to say also probably present prevents the string from coming off the bow as easily. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah well, whatever he does, it's uh, super fucking powerful because that arrow just goes right through like a like at least a one foot wide tree log, tree trunk. Yes. That's pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Great sound effect too, because they just like whip pan towards the the bow, and clearly, like when you slow it down, the the arrow is just prop. It's like a prop; it's already in the tree. But they right. pan to it and give a good like wah 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 yeah, if, if, if I need more information, I'll and I probably will later on, I'll probably be going to former guest of the show, Toby Capwell, who's mm. who's who's an expert on weaponry, I think, both medieval and modern, especially when it comes to something like the bow and arrow. Yeah, that would be cool. Have him back on, talk about old style bow and arrows. Yeah. Bows and arrows. Mm-hmm. I'll have to come up with a name for this because I haven't really put in the thought that I put in the trap names. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I have a couple bad ones if you want to hear the bad ones right now. Why not? Yeah. Okay. Uh, the first one I wrote was No Strings Attached. I like that one. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> and the second one was Bow Piercer. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Well, like shout that. out to Snowpiercer. Good sure, one. yeah, I like uh, I like no strings attached. That's good. Okay, no strings attached. So we have nothing but net. Yeah, we have taking care of business, <laughs> and we have no strings attached. Strings attached. Yeah, perfect. Right. Um, is that uh, a nice segue into the last uh, fifteen seconds here? Yeah, and I, I guess I kind of spoiled it with the description there. Sorry about that, but yeah, take us no, from that. Fine. Yeah, no, that, that's what I mean. I think that is a good segue to the last little section here because we get. Um, the montage kind of ends with Dutch taking out some explosives. Well, he's taking out some grenades, right? These are some grenades from uh, presumably the like the underbarrel of his grenade launcher that's attached to his rifle. Yes. Um, and then we cut to Dutch unscrewing the top of one of the grenades and pouring that black powder onto a leaf. And that's the end of the minute. And we'll talk, I, I suppose we'll talk more about this uh, next minute. Because uh, they don't really show exactly what he's going to do with this, but you did do a little spoiler there that he's going to attempt to make a little uh, projectile, explosive projectile with this, right? And I, I think I think McTiernan is doing a great job of just showing, not telling, because mm-hmm. you're looking at these shells, and you probably know that these are explosive. So he's pouring it onto a leaf, and they don't have to show it right away what he's doing with it. He doesn't go and test this out. That would create too much of a, a, a tension getter for the predator, and it would waste some of his ammo here. So I think it's a great job of uh, showing the audience what yeah. he's up to. And again, it gets you excited, right? Like you're like, oh, he's doing something with some gunpowder. Like he's going to make some shit that explodes. I can't wait to see that. You know how he uses that soon, right? So it's just, it just continues the building of the tension and and just getting you excited for the showdown that is inevitably happening soon. Like you're talking about before we started recording and I kind of hinted at, at the beginning of this minute discussion, he's, he's being a MacGyver. He's being like a jungle MacGyver. Mm -hmm. Tonight 
On MacGyver. This is a this is a MacGyver minute. MacGyver. A very MacGyver minute. MacGyver. Yeah, yeah. We talked a lot about MacGyver. Did did you want to say anything else about MacGyver? About like maybe a favorite MacGyver moment? <laughs> uh, do you want me to re- uh, recount my <laughs> favorite moment that I told you beforehand? <laughs> or I could just keep that. I think I had that on record, and I could just keep that and maybe even drop it in here. Sure. Yeah. I think we did a pretty good job explaining the, my favorite MacGyver moment is, is when he turns a coffin into a jet ski. Let's just put it out there. Right. Let's put it out there. And uh, before we started officially recording this podcast, I, we talked about this extensively. So maybe John will drop it in right here. Maybe it's the cold open. I don't know. You, you do you uh, with your masterful editing skills, but uh that is my favorite MacGyver moment. <laughs> All right, I will. Okay. <laughs> well, I don't know if I should save it for our official pod if we're talking about it, but I was thinking about my favorite MacGyver thing or escape, I guess it would be. Mm-hmm. Do you remember a scene where he escapes in a coffin? He's in a coffin and he and it turns into a jet ski. <laughs> 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 no, but I feel like there's some steps to fill in there to make it work. Well, it's <laughs> if, you, if you just search on YouTube MacGyver coffin jet ski, like the clip will come up. And what's fucking great about it is like MacGyver's in a coffin and I can't remember why. And there's four guys carrying him and they get alerted that MacGyver's in the coffin. Sounds calls him on the radio is like MacGyver's in the coffin and so instead of just they're all carrying guns instead of just opening the coffin and shooting the shit out of MacGyver they're on a bridge and they just throw the coffin over the bridge right water yeah I'm watching it right now yeah okay they're throwing him in yep and then we get a shot inside of MacGyver and he has this little remote in his hand he hits a button and all the sides of the coffin just fly off Oh. And all of a sudden, it's a jet ski? Whoa, it's like a wooden jet ski. Like a wood panel jet ski. <laughs> and he stands up on it and jet skis away. Do you have a favorite MacGyver moment? Uh, that's a good question. I was thinking about that as you were talking about the coffin jet ski combo. It's <laughs> amazing. Uh, I couldn't think of a particular... Well, okay. I guess I could think of like a couple moments. One was... Um, I might have talked about this a long time ago. Gosh, probably in the first few minutes. But uh, growing up, I had a friend, Ricky, who in his backyard had a treehouse that was quite a ways up. And it was kind of hard to go up this ladder. Yes. Back when we were talking about the Snuggle Shack. Oh, yeah. Panchito's going up this rope ladder. And I talked about how hard it is to actually go up a rope ladder. Right. Especially like when you're like a little uncoordinated kid mm-hmm. and I remember being really accomplished when I could actually climb up the ladder into the, his treehouse. and at one point um, from his treehouse, he had a zip line that went I don't know how far to me it was probably like 100 feet as a kid you know and as an right. adult probably like 30 but anyway it went from the top of this treehouse, which was probably 20 feet up down to ground level but when we we're up there like we had to come down and we really wanted he, he really wanted to go down the zip line, but the problem was the handle for the zip line was at the bottom. So he ended up saying he was pulling a MacGyver or he saw it on MacGyver. On MacGyver. Uh, Ricky was a huge MacGyver fan. And like he threw <laughs> his, threw his sweatshirt over the rope and like rode his sweatshirt down the zip line. And then when he, 
took the sweatshirt off like it had this huge burn mark, burn <laughs> hole through it. So it's I'm unwearable. I'm impressed that it worked though. He was able to do that. Like it they worked. Did on, yeah. They do that on Tango and Cash with their belts. Tango and Cash. Cash. Tango and Cash. It's it's yeah. That's in hindsight, it's kind of crazy that that worked. Yeah. But yeah, it probably fucked up his sweatshirts. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's just classic Ricky. He was he was one of those friends who'd always be trying those kind of wacky things and climbing on things he really shouldn't be. Yeah, we all had a friend like that, right? Yeah, we all had a friend who had dirty magazines uh, <laughs> out behind their house in the woods, right? Oh, no, Stevie. Classic Stevie. Oh, yeah. My my friend was named Adam that had the dirty magazines. Wait, wait, wait. wait. This isn't Adam. No, no, no. It's not Adam. <laughs> no, different Adam. Adam Franica. I go back then. <laughs> no, this was a different Adam that uh, lived near my house, and we were friends in elementary school, and was my first exposure to, uh, you know, all the things that happen out in woods behind a friend's house. Tree houses, porn under a log. Yes. Um, you know, like oh, What was it doing out in the woods anyway? That was so random. Like, I grew up in Tennessee, like, way far away from you, dude. And, like, that's where that's where it was. It was just Always hanging out in the woods. Yeah. Yeah. Find it in the woods. It's like, it's like some old, like, disgusting guys were like, well, I'm done with this now. I'll just... Leave it for the next young buck to find. <laughs> Treasure for some whippersnappers. Oh my gosh. It's like the original. Log, yeah. <laughs> the ancient texts. <laughs> the sacred texts. The sacred texts. I place it here for the next generation to find. The sacred Jedi texts. <laughs> it's probably still out there if you if you look hard enough. Yeah. Some say it's still under that same log. It's still propped up against that log. <laughs> oh, man. Nin- a 1982 issue of Penthouse Magazine. <laughs> uh, but back to MacGyver. I think my favorite episode was uh, he's fighting basically like a an army of killer ants. I don't know if you remember this one No, like swarming all over. And I think the way he defeats them, at least at first is by bursting some reservoir or dam and it washes most of them away. But then, then for some reason, I think like they figure out how to be on the water. I don't remember how that concludes, but somehow I liked that one so much. It was like my representation when I was teaching about conflict for character versus nature <laughs> <laughs> because of a teacher. I ended up showing that to like my no way. A long time ago. <laughs> I think like, this is awesome. I can just kind of show whatever I want. Show some star Wars. You know, <laughs> MacGyver. Uh, I just Googled it. Is it MacGyver fire ants? That has to be it. I remember that was just so terrifying because, like, oh, how do you? YouTube is telling me that it might be inappropriate for some users. <laughs> I understand, and I wish to proceed. Yeah, I think like the bad guy had some kind of uh, what do you call it? Not control over the ants. Like he just, I don't know. Oh my god! Yeah, but like they're they're killer ants, and like classic MacGyver, they you know show quite a bit of death in these episodes, it's right? Oh yeah, they're all this ants fucking everywhere, all over the the branches. Oh, he's got to wait. Is that a flamethrower? Yeah, it's a flamethrower. Oh, he burns the shit out of him. 
Yes. Oh, man. Remember when you were a kid and like the flamethrower was the ultimate weapon you could ever imagine owning? Yes. Like you always <laughs> wanted to have a flamethrower. Anytime a flamethrower showed up in a movie or a TV show, I was all in. I was like, this is fucking awesome. I love flamethrowers. <laughs> It's probably like the most dangerous weapon to have. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like off a battlefield or on a battlefield. So it makes the end of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood so great. Oh, I never saw that one, but I, I, I've, I've heard the recaps. So I like I, I more or less know how it ends. There's a flamethrower and it's great. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he takes out the ants via some flood. Uh, Cool. Nice. I did never seen that one or don't remember seeing it. Good MacGyver moment. Ding. Yeah. Ding. <laughs> MacGyver went ding. MacGyver. All right. Well, have we done this minute justice? I think we've done this minute justice. I can't okay. think of anything else that uh, we're missing. Well, recommends? Sure. Let's recommend away. So, Jeff, what do you have to recommend? <sighs> I'm starting to lose track, John, of things that I've recommended <laughs> on this podcast. Did I? I've watched this movie a couple weeks ago, and I can't remember if I recommended it. <laughs> it wasn't even that long ago. Did I recommend the movie Sea Fever? No. No. Oh, fantastic. Okay, this is a good one. So um, it's a surprise, surprise horror movie. Um, but I love horror movies, and what? I love. I know. I love this particular kind of horror movie. Uh, as uh, anyone who knows me knows, uh, my favorite movie of all time is The Thing. Yes. What I love about the thing is it's like an isolated location. It's a a monster that no one understands or knows what's going to happen. And and all those dynamics come into play. So this movie is called Sea Fever. It it was kind of a smaller independent film that did well at some festivals. And it hit uh, video on demand uh, in April. So you can can rent it on VOD right now. But anyway, it's... um, story of a young woman is a a student um, and as part of her kind of like master's project or probably PhD project actually she goes out on a boat with some fishermen um, to study some sea life and the the fishermen crew head off out and they end up going into a a restricted zone Um, and some weird shit starts happening, right? Mm-hmm. So they're out in the middle of the ocean. They're all, it's a, it's a small number of people all on one boat. They're in an isolated location and some sort of unidentified, I don't want to say monster, but organism, something is uh, rearing its ugly head below the boat and they start investigating it and it just kind of goes from there. So, it's a really well done for kind of a smaller budget film. Um, and I, I, like I said, I'm a sucker for these types of scenarios where it's like an isolated location. Um, and the acting was really good. And I just thought it was a pretty solid little movie and it's, you know, it's only like an hour and a half long and it's kind of perfect. So hmm. yeah. Sea fever. Check it out. It's cool. Sea fever. That's like S E A, not the letter C, right? Correct. Correct. Okay. And not like S-E-E, like I see fever. <laughs> Correct. And strangely enough, I didn't even know this when I watched it, but after when I was watching it in the middle, I turned to my wife, my wife, my wife, my wife. Like, oh my God, this is strangely 
apropos considering our current uh, situation ah. uh, with quarantine and COVID nineteen and whatnot. So, yeah, there's a little there's a little teaser there about a uh, problem that they're having on the boat. So, right, yeah, stay out of the water. Stay out of the water. Yeah, sea fever. It's pretty cool. Ah, coolness. Yeah. What do you got this week, John? Uh, well, just a couple weeks ago, I don't think I recommended this yet, but uh, I watched End of Watch. Did you ever see End of Watch? End of Watch. That is the Jake Gyllenhaal cop yes, movie? Jake, Jake Gyllenhaal, Michael Pena movie. I feel like I saw like the first half hour of that movie, and then for some reason I had to turn it off, and I, I never finished it. Oh, okay. No, so I don't, I don't know anything about it. Super, super intense. Uh, the basic layout is that uh, these two hotshot cops in L.A. are just basically going day to day with almost like a mockumentary style behind it uh, where they are kind of filming each other. They have their body cams on, <clears throat> just recording their everyday dealings with um, other police officers and just scummy criminal types and other people too, just like people and their family, those kind of goings on. And it's pretty short. I'm looking at it right now on Netflix. It's only 108 minutes. Oh, oh it's a Netflix streamer, huh? Yeah. And nice. it, it's a good one. It's a good one. I think Michael Pena is the MVP of it. He's just uh, super quirky and sweet and um, really sincere as a character. Hmm. All right. So, I'm going to add it to my queue. Yeah, check that out. End of watch. End of watch. Nice. End of watch. But I think that's uh, all for recommend. So, Jeff, where can people find you? Well, as always, I'm on the Twitter. Come follow me there. Jeff Glover, Carl underscore Hungus 314. My name is Carl been expert. Find me on the Twitter sphere. Well, if you want to see what Predator Minute is tweeting out these days, you can follow us on Twitter at Predator Minute. You can email the show predatorminute at gmail.com or you can also join the Facebook group titled the Predator Minute Listeners Palapa. Target the center of the Palapa. Target the center of the Palapa. Target the center of the Palapa. Now there's been some good discussion lately. A lot of people posting some things. Uh, I asked about how the trap works, staking care of business. Mm, yep, we got some responses there. Yeah. Uh, That's cool. Who was that? I think that was Joseph Parker. Hey Parker! This one's for you! Responded saying uh, that it's meant to pull the predator up into the spikes. That's what all the vines and... Yes, yeah. that's it, right? That's that's the piece we were kind of missing when we were looking at that. It pulls mm-hmm. them up into it. Yeah, so join the, join the discussion. Maybe share some cool weapons you've made. <laughs> yeah, what did you make when you were a kid looking at porn in the woods? <laughs> Oh, it's time to make a weapon. I'm all done with that. (laughs) I'm all done whittling. (laughs) Oh, gross. Okay, so for all things Predator Minute 84, I'm John Zabriskie. I am Jeff Glover. And until next time, stick around. Stick around. Stick around. Stick around. (laughs) 